You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. I'm going to read as we pray. This is fitting, I think, just on the song we just sang. Uh, Just a piece, a portion of a a Puritan prayer out of this uh, Valley of Vision. Bow your heads and just listen to the words. Says, Thy throne of grace is the pleasure ground of my soul. Here I obtain mercy in time of need. Here see the smile of your reconciled face. Here joy pleads the name of Jesus. Here I sharpen the sword of the spirit, anoint the shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation, gather manna from your word, am strengthened for each conflict, nerve for the upward race, empowered to conquer every foe. Father, we come to your word. We know that the enemy is against us. He is against you, but you have defeated him at the cross, at the resurrection. Uh, And so now we trust in you and we find shelter, as the psalmist said, uh, in in you, our most high God. That as Isaiah wrote, that there'll be no weapon ultimately that will prosper against us, that that we are safe, that we are secure, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's why we're here to worship him, to celebrate in the power of the spirit as we glorify you, Father. And so I just ask as we approach the word of God and the very words of Jesus himself, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would take those things which Jesus spoke to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and that they would be fresh and that we would hear them for our own lives and that we would do them, that we would do them, that 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 is why he spoke them, so that we would hear and do. And so help me to communicate clearly, Lord. Help me to get out of the way and just you speak through your word, through me, your servant. I clearly, I am not worthy to speak the words of Christ, the sermon of Christ. I have nothing in me that could make that good, make it better, but you have called me to do it. And so I just pray for your grace and your Holy Spirit to help me, to fill me, so that your church, Lord Jesus, is equipped, that we are built upon the cornerstone, upon the rock that is you, uh, and into a house, into a holy priesthood, a holy nation, uh, declaring your goodness and your excellence. So we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. We're gonna be in Luke 6 still. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Don't you hate it when you're reading or you're watching a show or you go to a movie and it just like, it, it just ends and it doesn't finish. So, you know, you're watching Masterpiece, right? And you're not admitting it, but you're watching it, men. Um, and, and it gets to the end and you're like, oh, 
It leaves you hanging. You got to wait till next week, right? Or, or a movie that you go to and you're like, oh, you mean I got to wait till 2019 to find out if Ray, how Ray is related to Luke and what that looks like, right? For us nerds. Or you're watching, you binge on a Netflix series and you're like, you sit down on one Saturday, you watch like eight episodes and you're just enthralled. And at the end, it's like, you are kidding me. They ended nothing. I know nothing. And now you got to wait till 2020 till the next season comes out. And you're just like, why did I do this to myself? And you torture yourselves, right? Well, we, we kind of left you hanging last week a little bit. We left you right in the middle of what Jesus is saying, right? Right in the, we don't have time to cover the entire sermon in one week. So we kind of broke it up. But Jesus is preaching the greatest sermon ever preached. And we just stopped right in the middle. Now, if we were kind of old school Presbyterian Baptists, we could have come back last Sunday night and we could have finished. I was worshiping at Carabas last Sunday night. So we didn't come back and finish. So we're finishing this morning what Jesus began as we saw last week. Uh, and so just kind of like at the beginning of every, you know, series last week on Masterpiece, here's kind of recap, right? Last week on the mountain, Jesus has thousands of people around there for all different reasons, right? Some are his followers. Some are kind of checking in to see what he's saying. Some have heard stories about this guy who heals people and they've come from miles and miles. So all different people for all different reasons, thousands of them. And Jesus stands there, he sits down or he stands on the side. We're not, you know, if this is the Sermon on the Mount, he sits. If this is a different sermon, the Sermon on the Plain, scholars are kind of disagree even though they're very similar. But he, he looks at his disciples, the hundred or so, that are actually followers. There's everyone's kind of checking him out, but these hundred or so that are actually his followers and he speaks to them and he invites everybody else, all the other thousands to kind of eavesdrop and listen in on his conversation. And what we're show, seeing is that he is showing the conduct of the believer. This is the code of conduct. Now that you're following me, this is what it looks like, right? And we saw last week two things, that his disciples are different, that there is a different value system that those things which the world exalts, Jesus says, I actually reject those things, right? So blessed are the poor, right? So we saw that everything is flipped upside down. So we're, really, we're different. And then we saw we're really different and that we love those who hate us. That followers of Jesus love, bless their enemies, right? And, and we're seeing this idea and we've seen it from the beginning of the book and that's why we call it fall and rising because this, that Jesus flips everything upside down, right? Those who you think will not be in are in. Those you think will be in are not. Those who reject, will, there'll be a falling. Those who humble will be exaltation, there'll be a rising. And so there's this idea of opposite where, where in the kingdom, you wanna be rich, then you give it all away. You wanna be happy, you actually stop thinking about your own happiness and think about the happiness of others, so everything is upside down. Well, that same idea is continued today. Jesus is still in the middle of his sermon. He's still talking about what it looks like for his followers, the conduct of the believer, that now that you're following Christ, this is how we live. It's not how you get in. Okay, we talked about that. This is not how I become a Christian. This is what the Christian looks like, right? The character, the conduct, the behavior, the, the, what's going on in our heart continually of the Christian. And, 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 what he's going to deal with that we're going to look at today, you know, we looked at really different and different last week. I, I call this, this is crucially different. 
essentially different. This is exactly what the church needs to hear because what he's going to say today goes against every stereotype the world has of the church. What does the world say about the church? Hypocrites, harsh, judgmental, unloving, arrogant, fake. And let's be honest, we need to wear some of that because that's true, right? But if we're gonna have an impact, if, if CBC and other churches like us are gonna have an impact on these, there's 300, 350,000 plus people in the Savannah area out through, you know, Hunt, uh, Hunter, Army Airfield, all the way to Stewart. There's a lot of people. And, and by our estimation, there's less than 20,000 in this town. And that's being generous in Bible-believing churches. So if there's going to be an impact in Savannah and beyond, then there needs to be something critically different about the people. And I think Jesus is gonna hit the nail on the head here, all right? So we're gonna look, Luke 6, 37 to 49, um, and just kind of three, again, big picture themes that I want us to see. And what I don't want you to do is treat this like a list, because that's what Christians do. Well, Bill said this, Bill said, love my enemy. So I prayed for my enemy on Monday morning, boop. And then I yelled at him, boop. I mean, okay, so... We're not talking about checking a list. We're talking about these things are being facilitated in our lives. Because if you have a list, you're a Pharisee. If this is starting to become true of us, then we're a follower. And that's what we want. All right? So verse 37, let's just jump right in. All right, this is a famous verse. Some of y'all love this verse. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Probably besides Jesus wept, the most famous verse in all the Bible. This is the non-Christian fave, right? Ah, 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 Bible says, judge not, right? The irony there is in saying, uh uh, judge not. What are they doing? They are making a judgment because they are saying, you are wrong for judging me, which is a judgment. So they're saying, don't be judgmental of my judgmentalism. And, and it's, 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 it's a self defeating argument, right? But it's, this is the favorite of the verse, favorite verse of everyone else outside, outside the church. Judge not, lest you be judged. But the reality is this, no one really believes that judgment is bad. I mean, really. We, it, on the surface, we do. Oh, don't, don't judge me. But we don't really believe that. You, you try this. You go home, you go 85 miles an hour on Truman Parkway, a, a cop pulls you over, and he comes up and says, sir, do you know how fast you're going? You can't judge me. <laughs> See how that works, right? We, we don't believe that. We don't believe... We, we, you, and here, another example, go to your kids' athletic events where parents are they basically demonic half the time and, and say, you know, today we're not going to have referees, umpires, we're just going to let the kids play and they can call it. I can tell you there would be a civil war <laughs> and for eight-year-old t-ball. That was a strike. It's a T. How can you have a strike? It's a T. Because... There's something good of actually about evaluation. So what is it that Jesus is saying when he says, judge not, right? We, we gotta understand this because it's thrown in our face a lot. This is where the principle of letting scripture interpret scripture is huge. Because what he cannot be saying is that we never say anything is wrong or we never have an evaluation. 
he is going to, in just a few verses, actually tell us how we are to evaluate. So he can't be saying we never make a judgment call. He can't be talking about that. He, in, in Matthew, the parallel text, he says all sorts of things that we're supposed to be doing. He said, don't cast your pigs before swine. Well, if you're gonna judge between pigs and swine, you have to do what? You have to make a judgment. He's gonna say later in Matthew 18, when your brother sins against you, go to him, which means you have made a, a judgment call. He's gonna tell us to forgive one another, which means you're having to make a judgment that they have sinned against you. Right? There's all sorts of things that Jesus is going to teach about that. Don't fast like the hypocrites. Well, how does a hypocrite fast? I've got to make a judgment. Right? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, he's got a guy in the church. He's dating his stepmom, which is a big dating fail. Okay? And he says, you guys got to deal with this. You, in essence, got to judge this. So it, when he says, judge not and you will not be judged, the idea is not we do not make a judgment call. In fact... What Paul actually tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, he kind of unpacks this idea, is that he says, what do I have to do with judging the outsiders? Paul's saying, hey, it's not, our deal is the inside. We are to encourage one another as long as the day is still called today towards holiness and righteousness. That is the church's job. We are to stir each other up. We're to be there. We're to love each other. We're to encourage each other. If they see us going in a bad direction, we're, we're hey, this is not it. But outside, he says, That's, what, who am I to do that? That's God's job is what he says. And so there is a calling for the church to keep each other accountable, to love each other, to stir one another up, right? But here's kind of, here's what really ultimately Jesus is talking about when he says judge not. He says, it's making a negative assessment based on a, a sense of superiority. I am better than you because I do this, boom. It's making a thing, a thing that is not a thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. It is holding people to standards that we are not willing to meet. He's not saying that we never say anything is wrong. I mean, try that with your children. You know, your older brother smacks the younger brother. Well, who am I to judge him? No, you're going to say, why did you hit your brother? That is wrong. And then, you know, we're going to do something about it, right? And here's, so here's the two extremes we see in the church. And both extremes we want to stay away from. The extreme number one is the anything goes mentality. Very, very big in, in the culture coming up where it's not our behavior that's the highest moral ground. It's the fact that I'm not judgmental is the higher moral ground. It doesn't matter how I behave. It's just as long as I'm not judgmental. And so it's crept into the church where, well, who am I to judge? I shouldn't say anything, blah, blah, blah. And so we see our brother or our sister kind of running down a, a road to destruction. Well, that's, you know, that's their choice. And we don't go rescue them and grab them and be like, hey, what are you doing? You're gonna destroy yourself. Well, I don't wanna judge. And so we see that one extreme, which is wrong. And the other extreme is those who are in the church who think, hey, Judge Wapner just died last week, people's court. I'm gonna take his place and be the people's judge. I hear there's an opening in the Trinity, fourth member of the Trinity, I'm playing, right? And they are the moral critic. They think it's their job to tell everyone what they do, what they're doing. They're always watching, they're writing their notes, they're nitpicking, always finding the flaws, always finding the failures, always looking for wrong and making sure that you know when you are wrong. They have the spiritual gift of discouragement. They have nothing nice to say. And those are both extremes, right? And so, and so here, here's what I want, for big picture thing. Jesus gives four commands. Don't judge, don't condemn, right? Give, he, he gives these commands and they're all really related. And I want to kind of big picture them um, and, and saying this. Um, the world sees us as harsh. The world sees us as judgmental. The world sees us as fighting. 
So if we're gonna be critically different, essentially different, here's kind of the word I want us to think about. We wanna be a welcoming people. So why did you use the word welcome? Well, number one, because I get to, because I'm talking. But secondly, because I think it describes what Christians should be, I think it describes Jesus. Have you ever been to a house and you walk up and there's a big old welcome sign? You're like, oh, it's a nice welcome sign. But you go in but you, and you feel like this is not, that's a lie. Because they got all these rules. You're like, well, you have to take your shoes off in here, but you got to put these special socks on because these, you have these special floors that came from Brazil. And you know, oh, and don't let your kids run around anywhere. In fact, just put them in the chair and don't let them move. And, and you know, and, and everything is like rules. And so there's a welcome sign, but you feel like it's not, I really am not welcome. But then you go to your buddy's house and you just walk in, you don't have to knock, you kind of just go in and they're sitting there on the couch laying around with blankets and you just, they say, here, here's a blanket. And then you lay there and you're just all laying around watching NASCAR or whatever sport you watch, which is not really a sport, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and you just, you feel welcome and like, can I get you a glass of sweet tea? Yeah, you, what do you want to watch? Here's the remote. And you're just like, man, I feel like I'm at home. My kids can go crazy. They're running around and no one even cares. That's well, that is what the people of God should be like, for, especially for sinners, which we all are, right? And so not hospitable, not harsh. And so if we're gonna be, let me just give you some thoughts on this. And it related to all four of these commands because these commands could go anywhere. Here's just some thoughts for us. A welcoming people, a critically different people, we assume the best about people at, up front, now, I'm not saying that that means people are good. People are not good. People are sinners. We know that. So my, my anthropology is biblical. But what, to, to avoid being a judgmental, harsh people, we got to start assuming the best instead of the worst. We don't, we don't jump to conclusions when we hear, well, did you hear about blah, blah, blah? Oh, I can't believe that. You don't even know if that's true. And you've just made a judgment. You never talked to them. You never heard the other side of the story. But what do we do? We assume that this is true. Something's missing from the office. Well, I bet so-and-so stole it because you know she's a klepto. And then you find it in, you know, in a drawer somewhere. Well, she's still a klepto, but she didn't steal that. We assume the worst. We attribute motive. Well, I know what she really meant. I know what he was really thinking. When he said this, he meant this. And, he, I mean, see, and that means this. And we get down the line and we, th- we got 16 conclusions based on something that's not even true. And we are judgmental. Harsh. This is why I always tell you, and, and it happens all the time, you still do it, is, you know, when you have to say something important, email is horrible, texts are horrible. Because, oh, did he, he said sincerely and not God bless at the end. And what does that mean? And oh my goodness. And some of you read into that so deeply, you treat it as scripture. What does this mean? What does this mean? What's the tense of the verb mean? I mean, some people, I send out an email that my emails are like 10 words or less, y'all. So if you get one from me, it's not me being harsh. It's just, that's how I email. Like, yes, send. I mean, so I sent an email to the staff out this week. I just had, I called a staff meeting that was not scheduled. And I said, hey, everyone, I'm calling a meeting, 11 o'clock. See you there. Boop. And everyone's like, man, what's going on? <laughs> They're firing Ethan and Kane's going to be the new worship leader. You know, <laughs> so I promise them one thing will never happen is that. <laughs> But it's just we assume we jump to conclusions. And, and I think the church, if anybody ought to assume the best to start, not the worst. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because you want the benefit of the doubt, don't you? And didn't Jesus say in verse 31, remember what he said? Do, do what you want people to do to you. The way you want to be treated, you treat others. Right? 
And so if you want the benefit of the doubt, how about you give some people the benefit of the doubt? That's how we avoid being judgmental. Somebody comes in late, mother of three. Well, if they would just get up earlier, then they would be at church on time. You don't know what happened this morning. There could have been an accident, you know, it, right as they put the kid in the car seat and it's over and they got to go back in the house. You don't know why they're late. So don't assume that they're undisciplined slackers who don't love Jesus. Because that's what we do, right? That's the first thing. Second thing is this, don't label people. Don't label people what, they, what their actions are or what their sin is. How would you like to be labeled what your sin is? Oh, there goes Joni the slacker. Oh, there goes John the pervert. Having lunch with Charlie the addict and his wife Becky the liar today. How about you? What are you doing? <laughs> the only time we see this in all the Bible is poor Rahab. Rahab the harlot. And it's, I think the, the, the point there is it's so shocking because she is a righteous godly woman and so it's supposed to bring the but that's the only time don't label people what they do you are not what you do okay and 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 thank goodness that Jesus doesn't say yeah there's Bill the rebel he's when God the father looks down on, on Bill one of his children he sees Jesus and his righteousness not because I've earned it but because I've put my faith in him and so my identity is in Christ and if my identity is in Christ then the rest of us no matter where we've been is in Christ and it's, it keeps us from looking down on people oh I know he's a druggie right it's, it's a big it's a big piece for us here's another one and this is a big one in the scripture don't harp on preferences this is actually the way Paul uses this idea of judgmentalism in the, in the church of Rome there's this there's this there's this people that they love bacon because they're super godly and then there's people that won't eat bacon they only eat vegetables because they're baby Christians okay right and and there and there's this conflict because the people who eat vegetables are looking down on the people who are eating bacon and the people eating bacon are looking down on the people who only eat vegetables and he says will you stop passing judgment on these on each other same word he says, if they want to eat bacon, let them eat bacon. If they want to eat vegetables, it has nothing to do with you. Right? But that's what we do in the church. Our preferences divide on things that are not sin. Now, there is a, there's a bucket of sin that we need to say, okay, this is sin. Adultery, sin. Lying, sin. Drunkenness, sin. Pornography, sin. Pride, sin. Those things are clear in Scripture. But those things which are not clear, you, you should not look, oh, they do this kind of schooling. I can't believe their, their family does sports. Don't they know sports is an idol? Well, maybe for your family, you can't handle sports and maybe for you, that's the way they do family time. But this person over here, well, I can't have a television set because good. Good, that is great for you. Awesome. If that's where God has led you, but this family over here, they like watching this. That's fine as long as it's not sinful and you don't look down on them because they do this kind of school or they do this kind of this. But that's what Satan will creep in in that kind of deal when it's a not sin issue, when it's a bacon vegetable issue and he will divide when people are looking down. Oh, they listen to, I heard him listening to Bon Jovi. living on a prayer, he is. Uh, I mean, okay, hey, maybe you can't handle a little Bon Jovi and maybe he can, right? Shut down, right? But the point is, if it's not a sin issue, the church does not divide and look down on each other. Personal convictions, right? This is judging improperly according to Paul. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what the Pharisees were kings of. He says, hey, let's let's not let these preferences. Here's another piece. As, As we ought to be restorative. The church is a restorative place. 
Like anytime you have to go to a brother, and I'm not saying you don't go to a brother because you go to a brother, but when you go, the goal is restorative. The goal is to bring him back as a brother, not as a lesser brother, not as, oh, he's Hank the lazy guy. We'll wait till he gets to be a hard worker again. He is restored. There is forgiveness. What does Jesus say right here? You've already, you judge not or you will be judged. Condemn, you'll be condemned. If you, if you are, are not forgiving, you won't be forgiven. The church should be the one place that people find restoration and forgiveness, regardless of where they have been. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. And we'll see this in the next couple of weeks. And so we forgive. And Galatians says this, Paul says, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, because you think you are, because you're judging. So if you are so spiritual, you ought to restore him with a spirit of gentleness. And then you keep watching yourself because that could be you, Right? That could be you. There is a restoration piece. There is a forgiveness piece in the church. How many times? 70 times seven. And forgiveness is not validating someone's sin. It's not approving. It's not denying it happened. It's not diminishing. But it is releasing because you have been released far more than anyone could ever do to you. Just as a kind of a theological piece for you guys, big, big theology piece for you, you're not God. Okay? That's an important theological piece. Because ultimately, only God condemns and only God is the one who judges. Why? Because all sin, even though you're, you know, your wife may have done this, your kid may have done this, your boss, all sin is not ultimately against you, is it against God? So when David, confessing his sin for the sin of uh, adultery with Bathsheba and murder of her husband, he says, against you and you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sin is ultimately against God, so only God can judge, and he's the only one qualified because he's the only one holy who can impartially judge. He's the only one righteous enough to judge. And so since you are not God, and since you have been forgiven, God says, forgive. And the church should be the one place that people can find that. That is a welcoming church. That is a critically, essentially different place. Last thing, last little piece real quick is what I call the boomerang effect. Remember, growing up, they had this thing called the Nerf boomerang. I don't know if they still have it. If they do, it should be off the market because the thing didn't work, okay? I mean, I bought this thing and they're like, you know, throw it, it'll come back to you. I'm like, this thing never comes back to me. It's like a Frisbee for me. It just keeps going. Well, you need to curve up the wings. It didn't work. It went to the right like that. And it just fell over, right? Well, but what Jesus says actually, but there is a boomerang effect for these things. Because if you do not judge, you won't be judged. You do not condemn, you won't be condemned. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you are generous, God will in turn be generous, right? The idea is the standard to which you hold people Jesus says, I'm gonna hold you to that. So you set, the, you set the bar. Where do you want it? How gracious do you wanna be? How harsh do you wanna be, right? The way you are uh, harsh or, or the precision in which you evaluate or how insistent you are, all those things, the, the grace, the lack of grace, that's how I will evaluate you. Jesus' half-brother, James, says it this way. He says it very clearly in James 2. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And I'm, I'm sure he learned it from his half-brother. Mercy triumphs over judgment, right? How does that sound? All right, and, and when he's talking here about judgment, he's not talking about salvation. He cannot be because we're talking to Christians. He is talking about 
the evaluation, the rewards that Jesus will give at his, his judgment seat that we'll all stand before. If, if you were super harsh with everybody says, okay, this, this is gonna be a harsh evaluation. If you were super gracious, it's gonna be super gracious. If you were super generous with people, there's gonna be great reward. And, and he explains this in the next verse. And this is a verse that has been ripped out of context and it has been stolen by the prosperity gospel people. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. And you know, there's those that will say, oh, gee, God's like a big pinata. You just hit him and good stuff comes out. So if you give to the church, in essence, to me, you're gonna be rich. Get rich, 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 have everything you want. Just give, 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 and you'll be rich. And, and, and there is some truth to that, but the, the reality is it's in, in the kingdom. It doesn't mean here. If you are faithful with God has given you and you are generous, he will meet your needs. He promises to do so but there'll be greater reward in the kingdom. How great. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And that's foreign language to us. That doesn't make any sense. It does to them. But here's kind of a modern equivalent. So you go to the grocery store, you go down that sweet chip aisle and you see the big old bag of Doritos. You're like, yeah, right? You're like, this is a massive bag. This is like and you're like, man, look, at it's like the 30 ounce bag of chips. And so you go up to, you know, check out. By the time you get home and you open it up, you realize that it's just filled with air and lies. There's like five chips and like, and like just a bunch of air. And you're like, that is, I got ripped off. That was $5.99. I got five chips out of this, right? Well, the same thing was happening back then. They go to the little market they, and the guy would say, okay, fill your basket up with wheat and then, and then give me your money. So he'd fill it up with wheat and then he'd say, here, here, give me your money. He's like, well, no, no, no. First, let me shake this thing a little bit, all right? And, and let me press it down and then shake it. And then I can put more in. And you know, you know how you're doing? You're, right? you're just kind of pushing more and you're filling in all the gaps, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus says, it's gonna be like that. You're gonna fill up your basket and then you're gonna press it down and I'm gonna fill up more and you're gonna press it down. He said, that's how I'm going to give. If you give. That's what it's gonna be like when you're, when you're generous, when you're kind. That's how it's gonna be to you. It's gonna overflow. So next time you go to the store, open the chip bag in the aisle, just kind of opens a bunch of employment in, you know. <laughs> I'm getting my money's worth, right? But that's the idea. There's a boomerang effect that Jesus says, this is how I'm going to evaluate, right? There's a generous piece. You, if you are a follower of Christ, you will one day stand before him and he will evaluate your life. Not for, not for your sin that was paid for at the cross, but there'll be this idea of we must all, Paul says, stand before the judgment of Christ. And, and the question you gotta ask is, how do you want that to go? Really, you want it to be like the bar? Or do you want it to be like the second grade spelling test? If you are gracious, if you are merciful, if you are generous, if you forgive, it's gonna be a great a great evaluation. If you're critical, if you're harsh, if you're the judgmental, always tell, it's gonna be, that's what, that's what it's gonna be. You're not, there's not a loss of salvation, but it is a, is a firmer thing. And so I would encourage us, hey, I wanna be a critically different church. I wanna be a welcoming church. I want us to be a welcoming church. That's the first piece, All right? Let's continue on. Next verse. He also told him a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Technically, yes, but it will not go well. Can Bill Fowler play center for the Chicago Bulls? Technically, yes, it will not go well. Can my 
eight and 11 year old be in charge of everything in the house? Technically, yes. What that means though, there will be, you know, NES Classic played all night and Netflix and Bluebell ice cream for every meal and Tombstone pizzas, (laughs) which is actually a pretty good night. (laughs) But what they need is someone to say, it's bedtime, do your chores, do your homework, eat something healthy, turn off the TV. They need someone to lead them in that. But if that person is sitting there with pizza in his mouth and holding a go to bed, that's the blind leading the blind. He can't, he can't do that. He's going to fall into a pit. And, and this, this is Jesus's point. So if you're going to be, if you're going to judge, you can't be blind leading the blind, right? He says, they, you're going to be like your teacher. Everyone who's fully trained, you're either like the guy sitting on the couch playing Netflix, eating pizza with the kid, or you're different. And so he goes into what we, we've heard this parable a thousand times, many of us. So why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is your own eye? Okay, why do, you see, why do you see the little piece of sawdust in your brother's eye? And here you are, and he uses the word for the main beam of the house, the equivalent of a telephone pole. He says, you got a telephone pole in front of your face. How can you possibly even see a piece of sawdust in your brother's eye? And the answer is you can't because you're blind. It is the blind leading the blind. That's his point. How easy is it for us to see the flaws of others? So easy, isn't it? But yet we never see our own. I got that, you see that speck in his eye over there? Telephone pole. And, And Jesus is saying, hey, before you start dealing with that piece of speck, right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see that there's a log in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly. And the implication is, is, is if you're doing that, you're a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite because you're helping. You're a hypocrite because you're jumping to them before dealing with yourself. That you have your own lumber yard to deal with and you're trying to deal with his little piece of, of, of sawdust, Right? That, that's the hypocrisy. There's an assumption, by the way, that Jesus says you're going to help him take it out because before you take it out, get your own deal together. Get this big thing out of your eye, then you can help him. And, and here's, here's again, here's how we're critically different. The world says we are fake. The world says we are holier than thou. The world says we're hypocrites, just like Jesus. And so here's, here's the word I want us to think about is that we, if we're critically, essentially different, if, if we're gonna be what Jesus wants us to be, then there needs to be some authenticity, right? There needs to be, hey, I, I need to deal with my own lumberyard first. And I need to admit that I have a lumberyard. Because some of y'all don't even believe that. Because you're blind by your own lumberyard. So here's some, some, some thoughts just on authenticity for us. And just even as we help each other. Number one, don't be wise in your own eyes. Right? Here, here's a good verse for us. Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise. Be not wise in your own eyes. Right? For, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This idea that you must be right. I'm always right. I love how I think. That my default position is always right. What does the proverb say? What, it, what is this idea? Is 
Do not be wise. Let me kind of unpack that for you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I went to seminary just to help you with that. Very straightforward, isn't it? Don't think so highly of yourself. Well, I'm just concerned about people's holiness and the health of the church. And No, you're not. If you were, you'd take care of your own lumberyard first. That, that shows concern for the holiness factor, right? The New Testament parallel, I think, of this is, is Ephesians 2, where it says that Jesus considered others as more important than himself, that you are considering others more important than yourself. How's that going for us? More significant than you. So somebody, you're on Truman, someone cuts in front of you, what's your response? Well, of course, you cut in front of me. Why wouldn't you? You're more important. I can't believe I was in front of you in the first place. <laughs> or is it riding their tail all the way to Victory Drive so you can pull up next to them and look at them and say, what are you thinking? <laughs> right? It's just like, I am not always right. So you've got to own your blind spots. You've got to ask God, search my heart. Am I, am I doing what I'm saying I'm doing? Before you give parenting advice, and yeah, you need to do this, this, and this, how are you dealing with your kids? Before you give marriage advice or money advice or any advice. I'm not saying you have to be an expert on marriage or parenting to give parenting advice. That's not, nobody is perfect, so we could never give advice or give counsel. But are, are you dealing with your own stuff first? Are you, are you looking inward at least a little before you start dealing with someone else? That's, that's his idea. Before you light up the kids, well, my kids never respect me and they never this and they're lazy and they don't do their homework and they don't do their chores. Are you asking yourself, how have you been treating your spouse? Because if you're lighting up your spouse and then lighting up them for not being respectful, you know what they're thinking? Well, mom does this all the time. Dad does this all the time. And they are way harder on me than they are on themselves. He says, hypocrite. So the idea is we're constantly evaluating. We're humble. We're not wise in our own eyes. That's, that's a big piece here of authenticity. Here's another thing is be willing to listen. Be willing to hear because we're not when we're always critical. Again, Jesus' half-brother, James, says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Do I need to, I know I went to seminary, but do I need to explain that one too? Fast to hear, anxious to hear, wanting to hear, and reluctant to speak. I think that's a great principle for us when we're talking about looking at other people and talking to other people about things. I'm more anxious to hear what you have to say than what I have to tell you what you're doing wrong, right? Be gentle. When you go to people, there's a gentle factor. I already read Galatians 6, spirit of gentleness. It's not by accident that Jesus uses the metaphor, the image of the eye, right? Because the eye is sensitive, it's tender, it's easily destroyed. Remember that game, I think they still have it, Operation, great game, right? You go in, you're like, you're the doctor, and you gotta, you know, if you go into that game, like, like, you know, you're trying to grab the, the funny bone out in the rib, what's gonna happen? You lose, right? And the thing shakes all over, and then you can't get it because it's up, up in the side, and you're like, oh, I lose, right? You gotta go in delicately and with the little tweezers and make sure I don't touch the side, and I grab that little funny bone, and I pull it out, and I'm like, yes, $200 for the funny bone. Give me the money, Right? 
Some of you, you, that's how you need to approach people. It's delicately. You don't just go into the eye. Let me see, you know, oh, you're, you got 2020, all right. You know, you stick a knife in. It's, there's a gentleness piece. Otherwise, you destroy the eye. Is there a time for a confrontation that's fierce? If it gets to that, yes. There's very few and far between in the Bible. There's a great one in Nehemiah when he goes and beats people up and pulls out their hair. You can read about that later. But, but most of the time, it's not that. There's a gentleness piece. Hey, buddy, hey, let's go have lunch. Can, I just wanna talk to you about this. This is what I'm thinking. I've been praying about this, and I know, hey, I just see this is the way you've been talking about your wife at work, and I just don't think it's good, brother. It's gentle. Go to your kids, take them aside. Hey, buddy, just notice that you've been a little bit lazy, you've been a little bit disrespectful to your mom. You, you hadn't really been keeping up with your homework. Let's talk about that. Now, if there's a time, if it continues, there's a time to, to pull out the beard, but not initially. So the church ought to be a place of gentleness. Jesus was humble and gentle. And, and by the way, he never once soft-pedaled sin. Do you realize that? Jesus never once endorsed sin, soft-pedaled sin, the woman caught in adultery, the, the lady at the well, the tax collectors, all these people that cheats. He never once said, it's okay, no big deal. Don't, it's, sin's not a big deal. He never once did that. If anything, he said, go and sin no more. But he still was welcoming. He still was gentle. That's the model of the church because judgment is, and condemnation is his. Your last piece here is just be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to because in Jesus' own words, you will be like them. So you don't want to find blind people to lead you who are blind. You want to find people who, are, who can see. So just be careful the voices you listen to. Careful of the people you give access to your soul. Careful when you, if, you, if you go to another town or maybe you're looking for a church, choose your church carefully. Choose your friends carefully, right? There is a lot of what goes on of, as, quote, Christian counseling out there, y'all, that is trash. And people are paying through the the roof for it because they're just telling them what they want to hear and not what they need to hear be careful of the the blogs you follow the books you read the pastors you listen to i mean td jakes just came out endorsing uh homosexual marriage last week i mean or saying it's not such a big deal right he's a big lifeway guy right just because it's sold at a christian bookstore doesn't mean anything some christians are getting their theology of the trinity from the shack which is a great story and completely unbiblical, right? It's, it has not good theology. It's not, it doesn't t- it's not accurate about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's a great story, not good theology. So just be careful because you will become like that you follow. So be wise. And, and Jesus gives the explanation and, and this last portion is actually related. Notice that first word, for. It's, it's explaining what he's just said. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. So look for the fruit. Look for what they say. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are picked from a, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. He says, look for the fruit. You want to know who to follow? You want to look parenting advice? Go look for that, that parent that you see their kids and, and they actually like each other. You want marriage advice? Go talk to that couple that, that's been married 45 years and they still love each other. Go, you want financial advice? Don't go to the guy that's got you know, $37,000 worth of credit card debt in the last week. The blind leading the blind. You want to find the fruit. Go find the fruit. All right? So critically different church. A welcoming church. 
there's authenticity. We don't say we're perfect. We got it all together. We don't. There's a, there's a humility. There's a, I got a log in my eye, right? And then the last piece, um, real quickly as we close, is, is, is just this. It's Jesus' followers do what he says. You want to be critically different? Just do what Jesus says because that's radical because the stereotype is Christians don't do, they say one thing and they do another. They're anti this, but then they go have an affair. They're, they're pro this, but then they, they hate people, right? And so Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount, both here and in Matthew. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He says, you got great theology. You call me Lord. Jesus is Lord. I got the Jesus is Lord sticker. In case of rapture, this car will be empty, right? I got the sticker. I got the good theology. But why don't you do what I tell you? Right? Why don't you do? In Matthew's version, which is a little longer, he says, many will say in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, good theology. Didn't we do this? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we tithe our checks? Didn't we, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we? And he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You do lawlessness. I never knew you. Yeah, you went to church. We're not talking about going to church. And the follower of Christ, because of his faith in Christ, does what Christ says. James says, you know, you're, you're, you're saved by your faith, but ultimately your faith will show itself in your deeds. And that's, again, not saying perfection, but there's fruit. There's, there's good, and, and he tells a parable. Real quick, he says this. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and notice the word again, does them. It's the second time he says does. Why don't you do what I say? Those who hear and do, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do, again, there's the do word, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. He says, you wanna know what it's like? If you don't listen to me, you're like a guy who went down to Tybee and when the tide was out, built a house right there on the beach. Right, build it real quick. And then the tide comes in and then here comes Hurricane Matthew and done. So that's, that's what it's like when you hear what I say and don't do it. The guy that does hear and does, it's like the guy, he goes back a little bit, right off Butler Avenue, digs down like 30 feet, puts big pylons in, pours tons of concrete, steel rebar, all that stuff, and he puts the thing at 35 feet above sea level. And when Hurricane Matthew comes to that house, it ain't nothing but a thing. Why? Because it was well built. Jesus says in Matthew that it was, it's built upon the rock that is Christ because it's built upon him. And the point is, when we believe and follow, that is our future. Because there is a, and the whole point of this is there's a condemnation, there's a hurricane coming. And those who will survive are those who have built themselves on the rock that is Christ. And those who won't are those who are trusting in their goodness, they're trusting in their, their, their own righteousness, they're trusting in their religion, they're not trusting in anything, right? And so he said, hey, you know what the world needs to see? People that leave church on Sunday and they're still doing what he said. That's what they need, right? That's what they need. Not perfect, not, not you know, but there's, you know, and you want, you're like, what does that look like? Here, let me give you nine things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Start with those, Right? Tomorrow when you go to work, love your employees, love your neighbors, love your students, love your teachers. Be joyful, it's Monday. Thank God it's Monday, right? 
Don't yell at people like me when you're trying to get kids to school and like, get out of my way, bus. You know, go around. Be patient. Be kind. That, that's, what, that's what the world needs to see. That's critically different. And they'll say, hey, they actually believe. Whether they believe Jesus or not, at least they are consistent. At least they say what they, believe what they say. At least they do what they say they believe, right? That is a critically different, right? Really different and different from last week. Critically different this week. We're welcoming, we're authentic. We just follow our savior. He's our king, he's our savior, he's our Lord. And I, it's my prayer for this church that that would just be more and more true. I'm not expecting perfection because certainly I'm not, but that would be more and more our character and the nature of our church. I'm telling you, and if it is, we will see God do wonderful things through you individually, through us as a church. Let me pray and we'll worship. Why don't you guys stand with me? Father, as we continue to sing, I just pray that your words of your son would be true in our hearts, that Lord, we are a welcoming church. Not judgmental, not condemning, generous, forgiving, that we follow our savior, that we just listen to what he says, very simple, that he says, go here, we go here, because he is our Lord and he is our master. That we would be real, that we wouldn't put on a facade or a show and pretend we got it all together, that we would search our own hearts first, that we would look at our own eyes first before we say anything in our families, in our community groups, whatever we're at. Lord, just that we would follow our savior in the simplicity of what he's calling us to. It's in his name I pray, amen.